0: All right, so we are continuing in our series, Golden Lampstands, and we're looking at uh, church number six, the church at Philadelphia, the church at Philadelphia, and no, this is not Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, it's Philadelphia, Asia Minor, during the Bible days, in modern day Turkey, and so let's go before the Lord in prayer, and we will jump in. Lord, we thank you today for the gathering of the body of Christ, Lord, it is such a an honor, Lord, to worship together with your precious people. God, it is, it is an honor to worship with your people and to, to study your word together. And Lord, we do thank you for that privilege. And I pray that you would minister to your people as your word is taught, is read, and is explained and is taught. I pray that you would touch every heart, that you would challenge us, encourage us, and that we would be changed. We would be changed into the image of Christ. And God, I pray that you would help me today, help me to open my mouth, to preach your word, and to exalt Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So have you ever felt like the path that you are on, the, the will of God for your life, the path that you are on is too big for you? You ever felt like this is just too much for my life? God, you have put too much for me in front of me to walk in, I don't know if I can handle it. You ever felt that way? Maybe, maybe you're, you're walking down a path, the will of God for your life, wherever you are. Maybe you're experiencing a lot of resistance. You ever felt that way? There's just so much resistance in my life right now. This path feels like it's too much for me. God, you've called me to walk down this path, and I don't know if I can handle it, and I have too much resistance in front of me. You ever felt like that? What about too much pain? God calls you down a path. He opens a door and he says, walk this way, marry this person, go to this church, take this calling, take this job. You go down this path. There's a lot of resistance and maybe there's a lot of pain that's associated with the open door and the call that God has given to your life. And you feel like it's just too much. It's too much resistance, too much pain. What about not enough resources? God, you call me to do this, but I don't feel like I have enough resources. What about not enough strength? You ever felt like you were at the end of your strength? God calls us, right? right. How do I know God's will for my life? Well, we, 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 we struggle to figure it out, but we, we can know God's will. So we, we answer God's call. We walk in the direction God has called us. And, and we feel like from time to time, we have no more strength left. I have little power, little strength to continue to do what God has called me to do. I know we've all felt like that. Maybe you feel like that right now. Maybe that's where you are, and I'm here to encourage you today. That this message, this letter to the church at Philadelphia, is a tr- is a letter for you. It's a letter for us who have felt too much resistance, too much pain, too much too much a uh, 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 struggle, and we feel like we're lacking in strength. We have little power with the open door that God's given us, the calling He's given to our life. This message is for us, and this is where this church at Philadelphia would have been this is how they would have felt this is how they would have felt the church of philadelphia as i said is one of the seven churches that we've been studying and and it was a smaller church it was not a very big church and just a little background to explain why they would have felt like this and we'll see that as we unpack the letter but just a little background the, the city of philadelphia was founded in 189 bc by king you, you, you Eumenes, I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, Eumenes of Pergamum. King Eumenes was succeeded by his brother Atlas II. And the city was named Philadelphia, which Philadelphia means brotherly love. The the, the city was named Philadelphia because of the love between those two brothers. This is where that city name came from. It means brotherly love. But what is interesting about some of this background when you study this Is that in Philadelphia? They were living on on, on a fault line for earthquakes, so it was very common for them to experience natural disasters of earthquakes and to have their homes and their businesses and their lives turned upside down because of a natural disaster and an earthquake, and they have to rebuild. Anybody know what that's like right now? Have to rebuild. Right, God's called you down a path and you're rebuilding and you feel like, oh my goodness, here we go again. This is what the backdrop would have been for the church. So not only were they living in a city that, had, that was destroyed because of earthquakes and rebuilt, and that was a pattern of their life, the history of their life in Philadelphia there. But not only that, but these Christians, they were living just like these other churches that we've studied. They were living under intense persecution for their faith. John who is getting this revelation from Christ in a prison he is in prison because of his faith on account of his faith that's what we read in chapter 1 he's there because of his faith in a prison colony off the off the island on an island called Patmos off the coast of Turkey so so the church is being persecuted right now so not only are they having to rebuild they're going through that up those ups and downs but they are a church that is under persecution So this is the backdrop of this letter to a church that would be small, that would be weak, that would feel battered because of persecution and also the effects of natural disasters and earthquakes. Let's read this letter to this church and see what the Lord has to say to this church. No rebuke to this church. Revelation 3. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut And my my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So what are the encouragements do we see? What are the encouragements do we see in this letter to this church in Philadelphia? I have three of them we're going to look at here today. I think it's a strong encouragement for a church in Philadelphia that would have been weak, had little power, little strength. God had given them an open door, but they had little power to walk through that door. But it's also encouragement for us here today. Let's look at these encouragements. The first one is this. is that The Lord will set before his people an open door. The Lord will set before his people an open door. That's what the text says. Look back. Revelation 3, 8a. It says, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door. I have set before you an open door. So what does this mean? What does it mean God sets before the church of Philadelphia an open door? What does it mean that he would set before us an open door? What does that mean? I think there are different types of open doors that we can have. I I had an open door to pursue my wife to marry her because she opened the door. You know, guys, sometimes you you try to force the door open. It ain't opening unless she opens it, right? And so Estelle opened. It was a crack. She opened it a little bit, and I, I ran through and busted through the door and convinced her to marry me. But that's not the door that John, the, the Lord of the church, Christ, is talking about here. I have set before you an open door. What, what, what does it mean? I think scripture kind of tells us in other places. 2 Corinthians 2, the apostle Paul says this. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord. So he's speaking to the same thing. A door has been opened for me. When Colossians 4, Paul talks about this. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the the word. To declare the mystery of of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Paul says again, same idea, but I will will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. For a wide door for effective work has opened to me. And there are many adversaries. So what, what is the open door? It's an open door for the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what the Lord of the church is telling to this weary, beleaguered church, this church with little power. He's telling them, I have opened a door for you for the gospel. You have an open door. But did you notice what the Apostle Paul said here? And it's the same context uh, in this section in Revelation Paul says, there is a wide door for effective work has opened to me, but there are many adversaries. Open door, many adversaries. When you think of an open door that the Lord gives to you, do we ever think, God, give me an open door and also lots of adversaries? That's not the type of open door that we pray for, or at least I don't pray for those kind of doors how often do we pray prayers like this lord give me an open door god i want an open door god i'm looking for your will i want an open door to walk through tell me what door to walk through what we don't say in our prayer but what we instinctively think in our prayer is is, is um lord please give me an open door with no obstacles or no difficulties or no adversaries at all lord please if you can do that that would be nice But that's not the reality in our life. And this was not the reality of the church in Philadelphia. And the Lord is telling them, you have an open door for the gospel. It is a wide open door, just like the Apostle Paul had a wide open door for the gospel. And he admitted, he said, it is a wide door of effective work, but there are many adversaries. So you know what that tells me about God and then about myself? Is that my view of an open door is different than God's view of an open door. When I'm looking for God's will in my life and the direction to follow, I'm looking for no resistance, no pain, no struggle, no affliction, no hurt, no burden. But God says, hey, I'm giving you the door and I'll take care of all those other things. You just have to walk through the door. And in particular, when we're talking about gospel proclamation and influence of a church in the middle of a culture that is resistant to Christ, There's a wide opportunity for the gospel. Everywhere we look, everywhere this church looked, there was a wide opportunity. But there were our many adversaries, many, many adversaries. And we need to be reminded that just because we are experiencing difficulty in what God has called us to, that it doesn't mean that God has changed his mind about what he's asking us to do. Can you imagine this church reading that letter thinking, God, yeah, right, an open door. I mean, do you, you know what they just did to my family member because of Christ? Because of Christ? There's not an open door right now. But I think we need to be reminded that just because in our life we are experiencing difficulty doesn't mean that God said, okay, I've changed my mind, got a little too hard for you, so, so, so you, can, you, can, you can move on to something else. We often are tempted to quit the things that God has called us to. Maybe that's in our marriage. God opened that door, right? Didn't you remember I told you earlier, guys, you got to jump through that door. If there's a little crack, you jump through it. You got married. You're 15 years in. And it feels like there's too many adversaries. And she sleeps next to me at night. Or he sleeps next to me at night. Don't quit. Who says because it gets difficult that that is the reason why you have to bail on your marriage? Did you make a covenant before God and before witnesses, before the Lord. Yes, marriage is difficult because there's two imperfect people trying to not hurt each other. It's like two porcupines trying to get close. You are going to prick each other and poke each other and hurt each other and draw blood. Not really, not not really draw blood. But it'll feel like it. But just because there's resistance, just because there's many adversaries in your marriage, we're not called to quit on our marriage. We're called to fight for our marriage, not each other. How often are we ready to give up on our unbelieving family and friends? Been praying for them, praying that God would save them. But there's resistance and there's struggle and they're not listening. And it feels like not only are they not wanting Christ, but they're going completely in the opposite direction of Christ. Don't give up on them. Don't give up when there is resistance. What about our jobs? Oh, you think, oh, Pastor Ben, you don't know how many adversaries I have on my job. Too many to to count. There are more adversaries on my job than there are in my home. And it's hard to keep going there. Did God call you there? Right? Stay committed. God will make it clear if he's going to open up another job for you, another door for you to walk through. What about the ministry that God has called you to There's going to be difficulty. There's going to be trials. There's going to be challenges and things that you walk through. But the ministry that God has called you to, he is not promising that the door you walk through in ministry is going to be without struggle and pain and discouragement and rejection and fear and anxiety and all the things that come in life. He's not going to say that, yes, here's the door, but here's the door of ministry without any struggle. No. When we walk through that door, because we live in a broken world, When we are ministering to broken people, we're going to experience all of those things. But you know what's powerful? Look back at the text. He says this, I know your works. Behold, I've set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. So who is included in no one? That means me. That means me. Even when I want to shut the door. Even when I want to say, God, I have this path, this open door for me is just too much. I can't keep going. No one is able to shut a door that God has opened. God is the only one, if he opens it, that he can shut it. So what do we do? We remain faithful. We remain faithful. What's powerful is, look back at the text in verse 7, to the greeting. You remember the greeting that I read there? It says to the angel of the church at Philadelphia, right? The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David. So what is the text saying there? He's saying, the Lord is saying, hey, I have given you an open door. No one can shut it, and no one can shut it because I am the Holy One. What's Jesus saying right here? He's saying, I'm God. There's only one Holy One. One Holy One. And that Holy One is the one who speaks truth. He's God. And that holy one who speaks truth, who is God, is the one who has the keys. The keys of David. That means he is the savior of the world. That means he holds the keys to death, hell, and the grave. He holds the keys to every door. He opens them and he shuts them. He's in control. The the, the holy one is the one that's opened those doors. So for us as a church or as individual Christians, it may feel like there's too much resistance to the gospel. Our culture is too opposed to the message of Christ crucified and resurrected. But may we never forget who's in charge and who holds the keys. May we never forget that who holds the keys to every door in our life. The opportunities for gospel impact are continually in front of us. And this is what the Lord is saying to this church. He's telling him, I've given you an open door. I've given you an open door. And I just want to say this that our future is secure because our future is in God's hands. Our future as a church is secure because it is in God's hand. And our only call is to remain faithful, to remain faithful to the open doors that God has given us. So here's what I would ask What does the Lord have planned for us at LWC? What does He have planned for us? I don't know. I don't know all the plans He has for us, but I know that they're good, and He's the one that holds the keys. And he's going to open the doors. He's given us an open door. And so we're going, to walk, we're going to walk through the doors that he's opened for us. But what does the future look like? I don't know. But I know that there will be many, many adversaries. The world is not going to be open to hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we're going to continue to walk through those doors that the Lord has opened to us. We're going to preach his word. We're going to preach the gospel. We're going to make disciples. And we're going to see People born again, we're going to see the church built and we're going to see gospel impact in our communities. That's what I know is true. And I don't know how it's going to take shape or what it's going to look like. But just as the Lord is reminding his church in Philadelphia, he's reminding us, I've got the door that's open for you. All you have to do is remain faithful and I'll take care of all the adversaries. Amen. And for us as individual Christians, when we're living our life. Just because there's resistance doesn't mean that God has has said, move on. The call is to remain faithful until the one with the keys says, okay, I'm shutting this door and I'm going to open this door. Go, Go this direction. You remain faithful. That's the first encouragement. The Lord has opened to us a door. He opens to his people a door. The second encouragement we see in the text is that the Lord will strengthen those who have little power. So we're, as I said, we're walking down that path, and and we have little power, just like this church. Look at Revelation three eight. I know, you have but little power. I know, you have but little power. Yet you have kept my word, and you have not denied my name. I know, you have little power. What does that mean? Little power. I think it can mean a couple of things. I think one, it could, it can mean I see two thoughts that their, I think their strength was waning. The persecution and pressure of the path and the open door of the gospel that God had given the church, it was wearing on them because of the many adversaries in their city and in their culture. They had little power. But I also think they were a small church. They were a church not only that was weak physically, but they were, they were small physically. Because of the persecution, they were small in number. So you have a small church with Christians that would have been weary And the Lord looks at them and says, I know that you have but little power. I know that you're weary. I know it feels like there are more that are against you than are for you. I know you have little power. Isn't that so good about our God? Then when he opens these doors for us to walk through in our life, whatever it looks like in our marriage and in our family and on our job and in our church, He knows when we are struggling. He knows when we are weak. He knows when we have little power. He says, I know. The Lord is reminding this church and the weary believers in it. And he's he's reminding them of one of the most important realities that we can come to understand as believers. That God sees and he knows the path that we walk. You ever feel like nobody sees you? Certainly this church felt like that in, in Philadelphia. Who sees Everyone around is against us. Who sees the pain and the struggle that I'm walking through? And I know that we have felt like that as individual Christians. God, God do you see the pain that I walk through? Do you see the struggle that I'm walking? Who sees? Who, who recognizes? Who sees the quiet tears? Who sees the loneliness? Who sees the pain? Who sees the rejection in quiet? I love what Job 23 says. You think anybody needed encouragement in the Bible? There was one man, it was Job, was it not? Job lost his health, had boils all over his body. His kids all died by calamity. He lost all his cattle, his wheat, his grain, which means his resources and his money, his house. And all he had left was his cantankerous wife. If anybody would have been discouraged and felt like, where is God? It would be Job. I love what Job 23 says. Listen to what Job says. If I go to the east, he is not there. What's he saying there? He says, I'm looking to the east, God. Where are you? I don't see you. You're not there. If I go to the west, I don't find him. When he is at work in the north, God, I, I've heard rumors that you're at work in the north. I've heard, but I don't see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. But I love this. But he knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Amen? Isn't that so good? Isn't that good news? That the Lord of creation, the Lord of your life, the Lord who opens all the doors in your life, he holds the keys of David. He opens and no one shuts. He shuts and no one opens. He says, I know the path that you take. I see you. I know you. You're not abandoned. You're not alone. I am with you. This church of Philadelphia needed to know that. And we need to know that today in our life. You know, as as I was studying this, I, I was... Reminded of a story in the Old Testament of a king of Israel, King Jehoshaphat. Who's ever read the story of King Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles? King Jehoshaphat was a godly king. His ancestors before him were not godly and Jehoshaphat brought reform to the nation of Israel. He sought to obey the Lord and to bring the nation back to God. But he had many adversaries. Right? Just like this text, just like what Philadelphia is going through, just like what the Apostle Paul was going through. There was an open door. The king walked through it and he said, no, we're not going to worship idols. We're going to reform. We're going to return to the law of God and his ways. But he had many adversaries in the goodwill of God that was in front of his life. Look at the text, Second Chronicles 20. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, three armies whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given to us to inherit. Listen, think about that. He's telling the Lord. He's saying, Lord, you gave us this land. You opened this door. And now they have these three armies that are in front of us Many adversaries, and they're trying to prevent us from walking in the possession that you have given us. Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against their great horde that's coming against us. Remember the text in Revelation? I know you are with little power. Jehoshaphat says we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. But 12 words that describe the heart posture of a man who is in complete dependence on the Lord. What does Jehoshaphat say? We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. So what do we hear from this? What do we learn from this? Our God knows and our God sees what we walk through. He sees the pain. He sees the struggle. He sees the mighty armies that are all around us. He's called us into these, these directions. And he's opened this door for us. And there's, there's pain, there's struggle. And so sometimes all we can do and all we can say is to lift up our eyes and say, God, we don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. But my eyes are on you. My eyes are on you, Lord. Because I know that if the answer is going to come, if the good's going to come, if the breakthrough is going to come, if the healing's going to come, it's going to be because of you. So I'm not looking to the north. I'm not looking to the east. To the west. To the south. I'm not looking to man. I'm not looking to my own power, my own strength, my own ideas. I'm not looking to the world, God. My eyes are on you today. My eyes are on you. You are. What What is Jehoshaphat saying? He's saying, God, my trust is completely in you. It's completely in you. But you know what we do very often before we pray that prayer? Sometimes we make decisions in our life that, 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 that push us to the point of desperation where we end up praying that prayer, but we do this other direction a lot more often. This is what we say often. We say, Lord, we don't know what to do, but we're going to do something anyway. I'm going to do something anyway. I don't know what to do right now, God, but I'm just going to get her done. It's kind of like this. It's like the dad who doesn't need the instruction manual for the swing set. Or the bookshelf or the table. Opens the box. I mean, who needs that, right? They start putting it together. And your wife is off in the corner. She's watching and she's like, let see how this is going to play out. But she doesn't want to bother you because she knows that you're sensitive right now. <laughs> Your manhood is on the line. Do I need an instructional manual or do I not? She's watching you from the distance. She doesn't want to talk. But then she just can't help it. She breaks through and she looks at you and she says, "Honey, I don't believe that part is supposed to look like that." <laughs> I don't believe that's what it was meant to look at look at the picture on the box. That's what we do. How does that normally work out for us? We got to take it apart. And we got to open the instruction manual. And we got to read it. So here's what I'll say. Having little power left. Is not a sign of weakness. But rather an opportunity to depend on the Lord's strength. So when Jehoshaphat looked up. It wasn't. It wasn't, because, it wasn't that he was weak. It wasn't that he, he was less of a man or less of a leader or less of any of that. Uh, uh, having weakness and not knowing what to do is not a sign of weakness. Having to look at the instruction manual is not a sign of weakness, brothers and sisters. Looking up and saying, God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you is a sign of strength. Being able to admit that I'm broken, I'm weak, I'm struggling, pride often gets in the way of admitting that we're weak or admitting that we're struggling. We don't want to admit it. We don't want to say I'm struggling. We don't want to say I have weakness. I don't know how this is going to work. Humility says, God, yeah, I've got all the doubts. I've got all the struggles. I have all the fears. This is difficult right now, but my eyes are on you. My eyes are on you. And the Lord tells this church in Philadelphia, I know you have but little power. I know the battle is raging all around you. You got three enemy armies, just like Jehoshaphat, all around you. I know the persecution is hot. But what's so powerful is, is that you have kept my word and you've not denied my name. That's our call. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you and we will remain faithful. The Lord will strengthen those who have little power. It's a promise. So how does the Lord strengthen us? How does the strength of the Lord make its way into our lives and our situations? While while we're looking up, while we're trusting God, how does he strengthen us? Isaiah 40 tells us. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. Oh, that's so good. I love God's word. I didn't even see this whenever we were, when I was right putting this in there. Think back to the introduction in Revelation. He says, I'm the holy one. I'm the true one. I hold the keys. I'm eternal. I'm the God. I am God. I know you are. You have little strength. And look what the prophet Isaiah, the Lord says to the prophet Isaiah. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. He's the holy one. He's the true one. He's the one who holds the keys. He opens doors. He's the one who gives strength. He is the creator of the ends of the earth. And he does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is is unsearchable and he gives power to the faint and to him who has no might he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. But how does strength return to us? They who wait for the Lord. We don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you, Lord. They who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So the call for this church in Philadelphia and this call for the church at Living Word and the call in your individual life here today is to hurry up and wait. Hurry up and wait. Wait. Quit trying to put together the play set without the instruction manual. Hurry up and wait. Quit trying to do it in your own strength, in your own ways. And hurry up and wait on a faithful God, the everlasting God, the God of all of creation. Hurry up and wait on him because he is faithful, because he is good, because he never fails. Amen. Psalmist David says, to encourage yourself in the Lord. I'm encouraging myself in the Lord today. Are you being encouraged today? Hurry up and wait. So what promises and encouragement do we see in this letter? The Lord will set before his people an open door. And the Lord will strengthen those who have little power. And lastly here today, This is so good. The Lord will fight for those who are his. Look back at the text. Verse 9. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan. Those three armies of Jehoshaphat. I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not and lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I love you. Boy, we love these type of scriptures, don't we? Vengeance. Vindication. They're going to come and bow down. We like that. We like those movies, don't we? The bad people pay for what they did and the innocent people get vindicated. We love those stories. Because it does something on the inside of us because we want justice. We've been wronged the door God's called us to and walked through, God, there's many adversaries and, and we see the lies and we see the struggle and the pain and we think, God, when will the guilty get what they deserve? Seems like the guilty go on unpunished, living lives of rebellion against God. But you know, there's a big difference between the movies we watch and what the Lord of the church says here. The Lord tells this persecuted church, this church of little power, he says, I will take care of everything in the end. I got it. I'm going to make those who are a synagogue of Satan to bow down. And they will know that I love you. Look at this. Wrongs will be made right. And justice will be dealt with. Revelation 21. into the book that we're studying. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. How how amazing is that going to be? God dwells with us. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Amen. God will bring justice in the end. He will make all things right. You look at the world all around you today and you think they are sinning against God. And it seems like they're doing it more brazen every single day that passes. No regard for God, no regard for his word, no fear of God in their life when we think, God, 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 when will you make it right? And again, we're tempted when we see that, but we're also tempted when we see people that wrong us and offend us and hurt us. We're tempted to go all Liam Neeson on them. Who knows Liam Neeson? The movie Taken. What did he say? Liam Neeson said, I don't know who you are, and I don't know what you want. If you're looking for a ransom, I can tell you I don't have money, but what I have are a very particular set of, you guys shouldn't have watched that movie, (laughs) skills that I have acquired over a very long career, skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. (laughs) But does the Lord call us to be Liam Neeson? Oh, we want to be. What does the Lord call us to? Romans 12. Repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. God will make things right. It's not up to us to find vengeance or vindication or, or I was right and they were wrong. And God, I want to prove it to the world. You remember the story of Jehoshaphat we were just reading earlier? Where did we leave Jehoshaphat? What was Jehoshaphat doing? Where did we, where did we leave him? Three enemy armies, a horde of people coming against him. What was he doing? He was looking up. God, my eyes are on you. And God said, okay, I'm ready to speak to you now. Look back at the text, Second Chronicles 20, Jehaziel, the Levite. The Levite, who is in charge with hearing from God, spoke. And he said, listen, all Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem, and listen, King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz." And you will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of, Je, of Jerul. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm. Hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. That's so good. So encouraging. So I don't know what what you're individually walking through. And and this church at Philadelphia, they needed to be reminded that God sees them and knows them. And and this door that they're walking through to continue to persevere and to to stay faithful. So, So I don't know the individual doors you're walking through, the paths that you're on that are causing you to have little strength and little power. But I pray that you would get to the place where you'd be able to look up and hear the word of the Lord to you and to remind you to do four things right here. 2 Chronicles 20, you will not need to fight. Stand firm. Hold your position and watch the Lord win your battle. That's it. Look up. Don't fight. Don't fight. Don't fight. Don't talk. Oh, we like to talk, don't we? Don't talk. Hold your position. Watch the Lord win the battle. The Lord's telling us, don't fight your own battles. The Lord is telling us that he will fight our battles. But the Lord's also telling us as a church, just like the church at Philadelphia, I will take care of everything. Don't be discouraged by what you see going on in the culture. I'm telling you, some of you, you need to turn off the news for a little while. You are allowing that to make you like Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 20. And you look at all the enemy armies all around you, and they've become your enemies and not your mission field. And you're looking at them, you're thinking, this world is so corrupt and evil. And look at these people and what they're doing and how they're living. And you've lost sight of the gospel imperative to love and to preach to them. And you're discouraged by what you see. Yes, it is discouraging the direction of our nation. And we don't know what to do very often. But our eyes are on the Lord. And we have to stay faithful. We have to hold our position as a church, as believers in Jesus Christ. Hold the line. Preach the word. Don't compromise biblical truth. And God will win the battles. It's not up to us to win the battles in the culture. We're not culture warriors. We're biblical Christians. We preach the word and we let God fight the battles. And you know what the battle is all about? It's for the soul of humanity. It's for that person that is locked and trapped into that sin and that lifestyle that we know is wrong. The battle is for their soul. It's not so that we can be right and they can be wrong. The battle is for their soul and it's a battle for eternity. So It may look like the enemy is winning. It may look like all around us, we're surrounded by three armies on every side. It may look like the enemy is winning on so many fronts in the world. Truth's under attack. Biblical truth is not tolerated. But what does the Lord promise this church? And what does he promise us? I'm going to end with this right here. This ought to encourage you not only now, but this is going to encourage you for the future. And you'll see why. Revelation 3.10, because you've kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. So a couple things going on here in this text. I don't know what your belief is about the rapture and when it's going to take place. But I'm just here to tell you as your pastor, Revelation 3.10 is a strong uh, indicator of a pre-tribulation rapture that that I'm signing up for. Look what it says there. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to test those that are in the world. What is that? trial our trial that's coming well look at the end of the book it's coming there's some bold judgment some trumpet judgments there's wrath coming there's destruction of ungodly evil people the lord says that he will keep us from that and some people they argue well it doesn't really mean that he's going to keep us from it he's going to keep us while we go through it but the only problem with that is that this phrase i will keep you from doesn't mean through it means from so anyway just a little sidebar encouragement there but here's the encouragement. He says, I'm coming soon. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have that no one may seize your crown. He's coming soon. I, soon for me is a lot different than soon for God because clearly I, I, I want him to come yesterday. But he's coming soon. He's going, to, he's going to restore. He's going to heal. He's going to save. He's going to deliver. And one day our faith will be our eyes and we will see God. And we will worship him. We will be known. We will know as we are known. And that is our hope. Amen. Amen. Don't know what to do, but our eyes are on the coming Christ. Father, we thank you for your word here this morning. The power of your word. Thank you for what it does in our life. It encourages us. It reminds us of what is true in comparison to what we see. And how many of us here today that we're walking through the doors that you have opened and we have resistance and we have struggle and pain. And Lord, your word reminded us in Revelation 3, as you reminded this church in Philadelphia, that you know, that you see, you know that we have little power at times. And that you will be faithful, that all we have to do is to look up because you're coming soon. Keep our eyes on you and to trust you in the middle of every circumstance that we face. To I pray that you would press these truths into our hearts, into the individual situations that we're living, so that we can have patient endurance. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. I love you. I'll see you next week.